If you show up at the liturgy and you never pray, no wonder it's so boring. Then we demand of the liturgy to be our prayer life. So the catechist must first be praying him or herself, and then must, as a parent, lead prayer for your kids. That's the first step. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the Communication and Development Coordinator at St. Anthony of Padua, and I'm joined today by the heir of a seal doer, <laughs> Michael Gormley. Oh, uh, the line has been broken. Uh, yeah, been hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Just yeah. had some uh, kava. I'm ready to podcast. It's been a while. So Just had some what? Kava. Ka- what is kava? It's uh, it replaced Zoe's Kitchen. Um, I still don't know my villages of uh, the woodlands, but it's on it's it's on the, Kirkendall somewhere. The village of Indian Springs, maybe. Uh, that's one of them. I, mm. I want to say I have no idea, but it's good. Good salads. I had uh, a Greek salad with chicken on it. Can I tell you my favorite uh, Zoe's Kitchen story? Tell me. I was reading Cardinal Ratzinger's Jesus of Nazareth. I'm familiar. And I was in the section where he was quoting Rabbi Jacob Neusner. Uh, he wrote a book called like A Rabbi Speaks to Jesus or something like that. And it was over like two or three different quotes from Christ. And it was, it was just a very beautiful section. And I'm reading it uh, visibly, not audibly, but visibly weeping at how beautiful that interaction was. And the the story of it basically goes, the rabbi realizes you have to choose either Jesus or eternal Israel. Right. Mm. And that's the decisive moment for the Jew. The Jew must must weigh these things. Moses, I know it's Jesus. I don't. And Jesus is saying some pretty epic things that ruin Israel in order to break it open to the Gentile. But is it Moses? I know. So that's his thing. Right. So did anyone stop you at Zoe's kitchen and see if everything was okay? No, no one did. We live in a culture of anonymous, uh, wounded, isolated individuals. No one's going to help anyone. I got to say, no if, cake I, if there's no ice cream, happy birthday. If I saw a man, we grown man, grown me, you, oh you, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'd stop them. I don't think I'd ask a question. Yeah, no, especially if they had a book that they were reading. Because clearly you can be like, oh, this guy must be reading they're a Nicholas in, Sparks novel. Yeah, they're in the fault of our stars, and, and they're, yeah. <laughs> you got stuff to work out. Non, <laughs> non-fiction text by a, a theological master, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so sad. This, what are you reading, a Nicholas Sparks novel? No, 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 I'm reading Jesus by Pope Benedict. It's written by the Pope. Oh, you're one of those. One of those nerds. Well, mm. speaking of nerds, Mike, know, the reason, right? <laughs> reason we're having you on, we haven't podcasted in a while, but- uh, I missed you. I missed you, too. It's so sad. Last weekend was Cat Day. It was Cat Day. Those unfamiliar, that is uh, the slang for Catechist Day. <laughs> it's a training day for all of our catechists for the upcoming school year that Mike and uh, the folks in the uh, Youth Ministry and Adult Faith Formation Department put on. Children's Faith Formation, Youth Ministry, yeah. Okay, there Epic. it is. Yeah. Epic. So I missed it, actually, and I, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is so I can get caught up, because I'm <laughs> teaching confirmation and I skipped the Cat Day. So, um, Shame. Shame. Talk me through it. What's, what's Cat Day and... and yeah. uh, what do you want to talk about today? Cat Day uh, is is an ongoing thing. So when I was first uh, hired here to be the coordinator of adult faith formation, I really wanted to dive into catechetical training for people and not just AFF people. So we started Catechist Day and it was basically like an every other year thing, um, whether it was just elementary faith formation or we tried to get everyone, especially youth ministry and all their core teams. So 
Catechist Day was actually mandated in 1935 by a document from the Catechetical Office in, at the Vatican. Uh, it was called Catechetical Day, and it was to have a liturgy of the Feast of Christian Doctrine, which no longer exists, but the Feast of Christian Doctrine. And then you were to pray together, and then you were to examine and instruct uh, and equip basically your lay catechists on how to faithfully echo the church's teaching. So uh, I didn't know any of this history. We have just been doing Catechist Day because we wanted a way to inspire our catechists and to practically train them. So the first half is me giving the opening spiel and prayer and all that stuff. And then typically the second half is them doing a working lunch where they're with their, you know, get their box lunch from Jason's Deli. And then they go into their various classrooms or youth room or whatever, and they get their curriculum. They go through their instruction. Um, this year was different because of the horrible events at Uvalde and all these other places that we have to do active shooter training. Mm, yeah. uh, and that ta- and that's outside of my, like, I, ca- I literally told them, I was like, can you just cut it down to one hour? And they're like, no. This is the curriculum from the sheriff's office. And I'm like, okay. It was longer than an hour. It was two hours of fun. Well, uh, <laughs> we did an active shooter training. And that really was three hours uh, of fun. It was three yeah. hours. Yeah. Uh, obviously horrible situation that we even had yep. to do it. Uh, but a fascinating individual. Was it the yeah, same the, guy? No, it wasn't. This is the thing that we wanted to understand um, going forward, right? We as staff members, paid employees, we receive a deeper form of emergency planning and preparation, right? So we get the not just the active attacker, but also the stop the bleed training. This is stuff that we have to do. We don't make our catechists be first aid certified and, and things like that. Um, but we do need, and this came directly out of out of our meeting, um, what do we do? All the youth ministers came up to me and they're like, what do we do if something horrible were to happen, but there was in the youth room? And it's like, well, we just have two windows or two uh, main entrance and exits. So either if someone comes in at one, right, you have to, and here's the thing that stinks. You have to think about this stuff. I don't want to think about this stuff. Right. I want to think about catechesis. I want to think about all, you know, whatever. So I um, went on the FBI's uh, website. I I downloaded all these different um, or watched all these YouTube videos, everything on active safety training for for uh, churches, for schools, for whatever. I took our own school's handbook that's approved by the diocese in the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. And I poured over them and I came up with an active attacker outline for our volunteers. And um, I was very happy to get all this information because uh when i gave it out like i stayed up to like four in the morning one night co- coalescing all this data and uh, you you can't give them everything because they're not going to remember it right and even if they carry the packet with them that i gave them it has to be very clear you know like what do i do what do i do what do i do i'm done uh and so the guy actually reviewed it and he was like this is incredible like mm-hmm. we don't have this level of detail and then like we had of course like always av problems because microsoft word doesn't know how to make powerpoint work and it's only had 40 years um and so, <laughs> so as it's stalling out on the projector, I'm like, hey, while he's back there working on that, let me run through some stuff. Like, observe. Look, we're in the gym. What do we do in large group areas? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he came out and he was like, guys, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I was like, thank you, Mr. Officer oh, that, Specialist. You, I bet that made your day right Oh, there. my gosh. It was awesome. For those who don't know, Mike has uh, combat training pants. You're a big fan of the YouTube videos, everything like that. He's- <laughs> I, have, I have tactical pants. What is it? What are they called? Tactical pants. Pants. Get a five. I know you're smiling. You're mocking me. You're there, yeah, lots I'm of so room excited. for lots for of stuff room. in your pocket. There's yeah. so much cargo. Right. Well, they even have a they even have a space where you can put a police handcuff key. 
so that you can get yourself out of being in no handcuffs. Way. What? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, praise God we were able to give our catechists uh, that training. You know, <laughs> obviously, hopefully. Yeah, never need to use. Never it. need it, uh, but it's it's it, you know good to know that all it's in their minds as yeah. they're teaching. And it's not just that; it's also safe weather. You know, like yeah. what do you do if you have threatening weather? Right. You know, what happens when there's an event on the outside that you need to be inside? What happens when you're on the inside and you need to be outside? Sure. And the the words that kind of stuck with me from our training that we did as staff, the police officer said, um, "When was the last time a child died as a result of a school fire in the United States?" He's like, yeah. 1955, yeah. when was the last time a kid died from a school shooting? And you're like, oh, gosh. Right. And so that that's what made it a priority for us. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. It stinks, but it's important. Let's talk about the rest of Cat Day. So yeah. obviously you got that, good that out of the way. But yeah. uh, in terms of actual catechesis, yeah. what, what do you focus on this year? I wanted to show our catechists three basic things. The Catechism of the Catholic Church and how it sets up catechesis. And it's super simple. Everyone at home, you type in Catechism of the Catholic Church. It'll bring up the Vatican website. You click that. Click that link in Google. Go to the Vatican website and just read the first six or eight paragraphs. It'll probably take you two minutes, maybe three. The first three, paragraph one, two, and three, lay out the divine plan. Right, And it's like God, infinitely perfect and blessing himself in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to share in his own blessed life. So I went over that one sentence, and I was like, you don't, you have no idea how powerful that sentence is. So that's the first sentence of the first paragraph of the yeah. catechism. Yeah, yeah. I encourage anyone to, to go look that up at home, because I, I am looking at that paragraph, even that first paragraph right now, and it's, yeah. it's the gospel. It's the entire salvation. I one time plan. did a two-hour podcast for a Christian youth ministry or Catholic youth ministry podcast on just paragraph one and we were supposed to do it on the first like 30 paragraphs because it's all about how to use the catechism we never went past paragraph one you, i mean you could look at the first sentence what you just yeah. said and just think about god's infinite goodness yeah. and and that he's perfect in itself and yet yeah. he's still out of his goodness makes man that's, yeah that's an i spent about thought i spent about five minutes on just that paragraph alone but note the quote that they get from scripture so the great the great commission is the main verse that we use about discipleship making go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, even to the end of the age. And when you think about this, I think I combined like three different translations. There. Yes. But when you think about it, he says, go and make disciples. So go, missionary. Mm -hmm. The word mission is you're on mission, right? Um, you're being dismissed. Mass all comes from the same Latin word for missionary. So go, ite, you, uh, and make disciples make disciples. What does that mean? Well, that's actually the the main verb of this whole sentence. Go and make disciples. So our task is to make people disciples. Uh, the catechism quote on paragraph four or five says, basically it's quoting JP2, uh, that the whole, pretty early on in the church, the whole task of making disciples, all the components of making disciples was summarized in one word, which is catechesis, right? So what we are doing is we're making disciples, but note how they're quoting Jesus, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, where he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. So the sacramental and the catechetical life, the teaching of the faith, are never to be separated. And that's the principal lesson the church draws from that, is like, when Christ wants people to be made disciples, baptism is not absent from that. Yet, when Catholics emulate non-Catholic Christians who are non-sacramental, so Anglicans are very sacramental, Lutherans are very sacramental, 
Presbyterians are very sacramental. But kind of in, in just the history of the Reformation, the Anabaptist trend, the Baptist trend, that's where you start to get an even anti-sacramental thing mm-hmm. where you'll have people who believe in Jesus their whole lives and they'll never get baptized because I don't need to do a work to earn my salvation. It's all caught up in, in the kind of Reformation era propaganda or whatever, but uh, misinformation about what the church teaches. But the idea is like, but when Christ commissioned his 11, right, he sent them out to not just teach, to not just evangelize, but that our catechesis is intimately tied with our sacramental life, what we call the economy of salvation. So to understand who God is, paragraph one, what God did and why we're sent is two and three, like so that we can gather all of God's people and and bring them united in Christ Jesus. That's our goal as catechists. It's not but a small thing. You mentioned so this the idea of uh, bringing disciples is sacramental and catechetical. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a connection there between how, uh, the intellect and the will. So that the two like image and like this is how we are like God. We yeah. we have an intellect and a will. Intellect being the catechetical side, will is how you love. So maybe that's more on the sacramental side. But honing yeah. that intellectual side of the faith, knowing God yeah. is maybe not as important as loving God, but they they're still hand in hand where you so, have to. Yeah know God in order to love him. So read the title of the paper that I gave you. I'm not too good with reading there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. I, I, that's funny because sometimes Mike and I come in and Mike's like, let's just do a podcast off the cuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm scrambling. <laughs> he hands me a piece of paper and um, and sure enough, the top of this piece of paper says to know and love God. So yeah, you already <laughs> knew what I was... The life of man, <laughs> to know and love God. Now that is the opening title of the that's what it says above paragraph one right so all all you older folks and younger folks meaning those of you who (laughs) were catechized with the baltimore catechism when you were children and those of you who now are you know involved in catholic conservative homeschool movements who pretty much just use the baltimore catechism again um what is old is new again uh that's that's the paragraph one of the baltimore catechism what is the purpose of life to know, love, and serve God in this life so I can be happy with him in the next. So to know and love, right? To know, cognitive, mental, intellectual, to love, right? The heart, not just emotions, right? But the will. What does it mean to love? For us today, it is purely sentimental. This is something I like. It's a preference, right? But in the Christian tradition, to love is rooted in the will. I am choosing to desire and want good things for you. In fact, another word for love in Latin is uh, benevolence, bene valencia, to will the good, to right. will That's the good for Saint your Thomas's beloved. St. Thomas's definition. Yeah, right? to will, to the, will good the good for your beloved, and, and Augustine and whatnot. But um, he's the one that made it popular because that's the idea of love that Pope John Paul frames his entire theology of the body around. So how does sharpening this catechesis or sharpening your intellect make it easier yeah. or, or quicker to, to love somebody or yeah. love God in particular. Yeah, I would say it's that line from John 17:3, right? What what is eternal life? To know God in this Christ that he has sent, right? Like to not know Jesus, right? So here's the thing sometimes that you find. There are people who will set to know and to love in opposition, and that's dumb. That is dumb. But we have to do our very best to stir up into flame both of these things. So there'll be people who think it's just enough to, to love like Jesus and do this stuff, but to not know Christian doctrine, right? No, then you don't know Jesus. So the way I always frame it is, uh, how long have you been married? You're married, right? I am married to a, a woman, a human woman. Uh, it's been about a year. <laughs> a human woman. <laughs> 
I love that. Uh, I, I was just nervous by your tone that you hadn't brought it up yet, so I wanted to make sure I that you said that. Sneak it in there, yeah. Yeah, um, almost a year. Now, did you did you know about her before you met her? Like, did people like talk her up before you physically met her? And yeah, stuff? yeah. I was told you got to meet this girl. She's another bridesmaid at this wedding. Mm. That's all. Basically, all I, all I knew. Okay, I so I didn't know Shannon until I met her. So my wife, um, I met her at this um she was a, a resident coordinator and i was a resident assistant at franciscan she was grad student i was an undergrad naive in the ways of the world wow. she swept me off my feet but um wow. so now imagine if someone talks a person up oh my gosh you guys would be perfect you like this she likes this blah 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 blah. they can give you a lot of knowledge about her we will call that a second order knowledge knowledge that's not directly experienced knowledge that is mediated by another okay knowledge about then you meet her direct unmediated experiential knowledge of that person right which is better that first order knowledge experiential unmediated knowledge that's better but that doesn't mean the second order knowledge is meaningless but see the problem that we have often is because people don't love god we're we're reducing everything in catechesis to just knowledge about god right so then jesus i I call it the private school syndrome where jesus is just another subject as opposed to the public school syndrome where Jesus is Santa Claus, right? This myth that we tell our kids to be not nice and not naughty, right? But what's worse? Well, they're both worse. But honestly, if you can have more knowledge, the information about the gospel and about God is still formation, right? It's not enough, but it's if we all we did was second order. So the job of the catechist is to arouse Christian faith, to arouse this idea of giving my life over to Christ Jesus. So the catechism or the um, cat day was not just about the method and the involvement and the specifics of catechesis. I also then had uh, the good work of the catechist, which is me taking, I think it was two, maybe three paragraphs of JP2, Pope John Paul II. Every year I read Catechesi Tridendi on catechesis in our time. Wonderful document that he wrote. And I broke down one paragraph into like eight small subparagraphs in order to emphasize these points. And the second one is so beautiful. It says, the definitive aim of catechesis is to put people not only in touch, but in communion, in intimacy with Jesus Christ. So right? I, yeah. let me try to summarize. So it sounds like you're saying you catechists instill that second order knowledge, knowledge about, and try to inspire that first order knowledge. Try to lead them to that first order knowledge. What would be an example of... of say, yeah. a teaching on the Trinity um, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. How, how might a catechist give second knowledge about and, yeah. and stoke in somebody yeah. knowledge? So of? that's where, honestly, that's where what we call the charisma comes in or the initial proclamation. So in the earlier part on the catechesis, um, from the catechism, it lays out these different components that make up evangelization, and catechesis is just one component. It lists the other ones, and one of them is the initial proclamation of the gospel or missionary preaching. That initial proclamation, the word proclamation in Greek is kerygma. So we call it the kerygma, charismatic approach. What we have to do as catechists is what the Pope says in Catechesi Tridende 19, where he says, most people come to us not evangelized, so they they don't have the gospel presented. Then they've, out of love 
and knowledge, they've responded in faith and now catechesis is to mature that faith. They've often come to us without that first step having been done. So he said, so our catechesis must continually draw on that, what we would call a missionary proclamation on the initial proclamation. So what we do, so for instance, in my inclusion class, in my adult confirmation class, in every single time I get in front of an adult in a class of any way, shape or form, I am constantly tying every doctrine of, of our faith to the death and resurrection of Jesus, to the Paschal mystery, right? Everything. This is what Jesus did, right? Galatians chapter two, he loved me and he gave himself for me. So the emphasis on missionary preaching is this is what Jesus did because he loves you, right? Jesus is the pursuing love of, of the father, right? For us. And so if basically our goal is to address ignorance, absolutely, but also apathy, Right. If you don't love someone, you're going to remain apathetic. Like people don't love Napoleon. So when they read it for class, that's why I call it the private school syndrome. When you when you study Jesus, if you don't love him, you're just accumulating facts. Same issue about like the Napoleonic Wars. Like you got to memorize enough names and dates to get a decent grade on a test. Okay, sure. But if it's someone that you love, every new thing you learn about them becomes another reason to love them. Now, if we can say that about our own brides, how much more can we say that about the lover of our souls, right. Jesus Christ? So the catechist must constantly pull back and be like, don't you see why this matters? This matters because, like, for instance, uh, uh, the way I teach marriage, when I do um, convalidation classes, get all these people together who are going to get sacramentalize their, their civil union. And I'm there to be like, okay, this is why the sacramental life matters, right? So when I do it, I put the cross of Jesus Christ into everything, in the resurrection, into everything. Uh, you ever have a fight with your spouse, right? Then you know the cost of forgiveness, right? When you feel belittled by the very person you love the most and are vulnerable to the most, and then all of a sudden you feel attacked, betrayed, you know, all this stuff. Number one, take stock and realize that Christ has been there. Number two, realize that he's forgiven you, so who are you to withhold your forgiveness, right? So you just kind of walk people through it. And then you find in the heart of it, like, wow, God's love in Christ really is amazing. That's the missionary preaching. That's what we got to keep pulling back to. And there's other phrases you call it initiatory catechesis, um, where you're giving people the sacraments. You want to keep initiating them into the sacrament, maybe that they've already received. And you find this is very true of adults. We got to do this so much, especially around liturgical catechesis. Most people don't know how to attend the liturgy fully consciously and actively and so that's what we try to do it was that part of the cat day so yes and no so if you look on this fancy handout that we have there's this part called the sacramental economy and i wanted to go through it so bad so bad but <clears throat> we had a hard stop and i already sailed through that hard stop by eight minutes so <laughs> i had to wrap up and uh, i just couldn't contain myself so the idea was i needed to help frame the um the eucharistic revival that we're doing as a church in america so right now is the diocesan effort for the next year then we'll do the parish effort then it's the national effort right and so what we did was i wrote these guidelines for holy communion based on previous usccb document and based on the pastoral experience of our three priests here our deacons here our ias instituted acolytes and our emhcs the extraordinary ministers of holy communion what are they seeing practically as they're distributing Holy Communion. So I wrote these guidelines based on the abuses, which are widespread, but probably non-malicious. They're accidental, right? But they're still abuses. 
And so we need to overcome that ignorance because I think in those cases, most people are not apathetic, right? They want to do the right thing. They just don't know what the right thing is. So we wrote these guidelines. You uh, so handsomely got them published. They look great. We're going to put them in all the pews, and it's going to be a part of our ongoing sacramental liturgical catechesis. When I showed it to um, a person on the liturgy team, because I, I proposed it to them, they gave me a bunch of feedback. So this has been a huge communal effort. This is not just Michael Gormley in a darkened basement writing all the, well, I'll show these people. Um, but the this one guy, he sat me down, he said, listen, Mike, I came, to, came of age. My catechesis was in the 70s and 80s, which is the worst time to have been catechized in the life of the church. And he said, many of us who are my age need catechism class like this. So he said, I think what you're doing is a great service. And I'm like, well, again, it's everyone. But it goes through who can receive. And then on the back is how do we receive? Yeah, it's a good document. It's very short to the point. It yeah. gets everything across that it needs to get across. I think that some folks maybe listening now are going to read this document and think I've been, maybe I've been doing it wrong. The document's mm-hmm. going to say something that yeah. they haven't been doing. Yeah. Um, and for me, if I was doing something and I and I got correction from the church, I feel like I had something in my teeth for the last you know ten years. <laughs> I've been doing this this whole time. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, just remove it from your teeth and move on. No one's yeah. going to point and laugh like, look, now you're doing it right. You know, mm-hmm. you just didn't used to do it right. The teaching is coming out because we love you and we want you to love the Lord. You know, the way he deserves. The way he deserves. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's it's, yeah. Think of it as uh, not quite as like pointing and laughing at you guys, but yeah. But you know, we're all doing something that we could do a little bit better. Just keep that in mind. You know, that that's what uh, this Eucharistic teaching um, is all about. So that's coming out soon, right? Soon. Dot. 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 The whole momentum around the Eucharistic revival, I'm like going nuts for. Because so many people um, since COVID have truly forgotten how to receive the Eucharist in a worthy manner. And it, 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 the Eucharist has fallen on the floor so many times and all this stuff. And it's shocking to me um, when that happens. And most of it is purely accidental. Like No one's throwing the Eucharist on the floor. But people are taking the Eucharist back to their pews. And it's like, no, 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 no. You consume immediately. And if you walk away, we're, the Eucharistic ministers required to come up to you and say, consume that right now, please. Right, they're required. It's not fakey, fakey like this one guy's a, a, a jerk who's a little, gest- yeah. you know, little um, dictator. You as a Gestapo, a little, little, little fascist, right? Well, and not to be fascist about it, but <laughs> but this is the thing that you should be the most yeah. dictatorial about. Yeah. You know, this is the body of Christ we're talking about, so we should be very serious about the way we receive it. I mean, even the way I see some some teenagers or something receive and drop, oh, those kids drop their hands to their side, yeah. you know, and they walk away. Like, yeah. that that's kind of heartbreaking to mm-hmm. me. Like, you don't know what you're doing right now. Yeah. Like, just at least, a, I don't know act with some poise or something like that because uh, this is the body of Christ we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so this is the funny thing that we have. Th- uh, it's another layer of the struggle, I think, in modern society or contemporary culture, which is we hate formal things unless it's like a party, right? And and even then we become more and more informal at those things. Like I remember one day I was watching an episode of Mad Men and Don Draper was taking his family out to which takes place in the early sixties, this one scene. And his family's at a picnic. And they have formal clothing that they wear to a family picnic. Yeah. And today I would wear t shirts and basketball shorts and flippy floppies or something like that, right? 
So, like, the world was very formal. You did not go to work unless you had a suit coat and tie and a top and, a you know, a fedora. You didn't go shopping unless you had a hat on. Yeah. For men, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Haberdasheries were a thing, and they were popular. And none of this stuff exists now. And honestly, like, I'm thankful for the most part that none of that exists now. But at the same time, right, at the same time, we bring that casual familiarity into the church, and you shouldn't do that at all. And it's it's getting harder and harder to teach things like modesty. You teach things like modesty to boys and girls, you're teaching two different messages, right? I mean, not really. Like, we're teaching, hey, in our culture, um, you know, there are certain things that are arousing, right? So modesty says... I'm going to cover up those things so that for the sake of my brother or my sister, right? But there's another side of modesty that I think we forget, which is not just the negative, don't show too much skin, oh, your ankles are showing, how dare you? But the other thing is I am making myself beautiful, men or women, for my king, right? So when we go to mass, we ought to elevate our clothing. And that's something that people all the time be like, I hate this church because it's too formal. And it's like, okay, here's the deal, though. Even if you didn't vote for the guy, if you were to meet the president tomorrow at the White House in the Oval Office, you would dress nicely. Right. right? You would do it for your president, but you wouldn't do it for your king. Right? And so that's the problem I have. Like, I'm very much guilty of this, too. And it's one of those things, like, I had something in my teeth. For years, I justified it. No, Christ wants you to come as you are. And it's like, uh, okay, yeah, if you're uh, an outsider looking in, absolutely. But if you've been doing this thing for years, No. You're, you're overly familiarizing yourself in a place where you ought to be an awe and reverence. Especially now as a lot of us work from home. Uh, yeah. you know, we haven't tucked our shirts in in years. I mean, <laughs> there, Thank you, Zoom. I no longer wear pants. <laughs> there's something to every weekend. I don't wear a sport coat every single weekend because mm. it's too hot. Uh, yeah. But I tuck my shirt in at mass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, when it's colder out, I'll put a sport coat on. And mm. I've started that habit because it's, it's a good thing for me to prepare for the, the mass, to not just get there and spend one hour and then leave. But to spend half an hour like putting myself together, yeah. uh, and then and then I don't know, it signals to myself that this is the most important thing I'm I'm doing all week. So you just said the key phrase: it signals to myself. And then I don't know, it signals to myself that this is the most important thing I'm I'm doing all week. We are creatures of habit, right? We're creatures of of society, creatures of community. When enough people do it, everyone will start doing it. Right. Because then you'll feel out of place. Right. And I'm not saying wear a cummerbund. Okay. We're saying class yourself up in a manner that you don't, that you otherwise wouldn't normally do. Right. Because this is sacred, not profane. You do the profane thing, profanum, outside the temple. Right. That's what the word profane means. You're pro in front of and then phanum, the temple. Right. But when you're in the temple, you do sacred things. Something should look different here. The word in Hebrew, kadush, for holiness, means to be set apart. So here's a cup. I don't put Coca-Cola or coffee in this cup. This is just for the wine that becomes consecrated into the blood of Christ. Right? This, these are things set apart. That's what it means to consecrate something. It means to set them apart for holy use. Right? So what about you? Right? Christ Jesus called you out called you into his church. The word church literally means the called out ones. Called you out of the world into his church, his family. And so now we're set apart. Sunday is a day set apart. So Sunday can't look like Saturday, right? But the way I dress at church shouldn't look like the way I dressed after or before church. Right. 
And you made that, uh, you used the word signal. We could use the word symbol. We could use the word sign that there's something different here. And that's important. That's what we want to do. This is a special thing, right? And the more we do it and the more we lead, like my boys, it is World War III to get them to wear pants and a collared shirt. But now, finally, it has clicked on the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old, I just do this, right? But then the funny thing is it teaches them appropriate and inappropriate. I was going to say the same thing. I, I do think that you're setting yourself up for success if you yeah. have your children dress up for mass in a way that's different than they were dressing up to go to some to the park or the concert or something like that. Because yeah. they see, oh, I'm in my nice clothes. I'm not going to stand up on the pew and, and you know moon the guy behind me. Now, Thomas, th- this past Sunday, took his shoes off. And uh, started uh, juggling them or something. That's that's yeah, baby all right. steps. That, baby steps. Then that's, that's still gonna happen. I'm not saying as soon as you put your kid in a suit, you're, they're gonna be like magically transformed. I'm just saying Ugh. to set yourself up, yeah. your whole family up to treat the mass with reverence. And we were talking about Cat Day uh, until uh, 20 minutes ago when we got on the Eucharist. And, and no, but <laughs> see, that's that's what I did in Catechist Day. The last part, I passed out this guideline that I printed out. Um, beforehand, I pass it out to everyone and we went through it together because I said like, you're going to be implementing this in the classroom in a totally different way. And so for us, catechesis has to be more. So you go back to that, um, part of the catechism of the Catholic church where it breaks down what is catechesis. Part of it is the experience of Christian living, right? The experience of the sacraments, the Christian community, all of these things matter when it comes to teaching the faith, right? So how do I hand on the faith? Well, I have to believe it. Okay, I have to live it. Okay, well, what does it look like to live it if you if we make the mass look like everything else, if we make our clothing look like everything else, if it's just this casual thing I do for an hour and a half on Sundays? Well, guess what? It's not going to mean anything. And if parents don't go to communion, if parents don't go to confession, then in the eyes of your kids, it's just going to look like a kid's thing, right? That's what kids are forced to do. So if you don't go to mass on Sunday, this whole thing becomes um, – sack prep for your kids and baptism for your kids it, it becomes almost like um uh like elementary school yeah you just do that when you're younger and now you're now you don't go to school anymore and it's like no no i didn't graduate from the faith i'm pulled gradually ever deeper into the mysteries and so part of how we do it it, it affects like the signals we send even to ourselves i loved how you said that because when i'm putting on clothes i don't get vested like a priest i don't belong in the sanctuary only consecrated persons belong in the sanctuary. I don't. So when I'm putting on my button-up shirt and my, my my black slacks, your combat shorts, my combat my combat shorts, I gotta be ready. Uh, no, I'm saying to myself like this is me vesting, right? I'm not wearing the the things of a priest because I'm not a priest, but I am one still participating in the Eucharist, so I should come prepared. Right, right. reminds me of like game day getting the pads on or something like that there's a there's a sort of sanctuary to that but there's a ritual attached to it it's a secular ritual but now we have a sacred one uh one last question about cat day what would you say to the catechists or the parents who are wanting to be catechists to their children Mm. uh who don't have masters in theology from uh benedictine where did you go to school I will choke you with my microphone cable. <laughs> who didn't go to Steubenville, who didn't get catechized <laughs> yeah. when they were kids, what would you say to a parent who wants to teach their children or even wants to be a catechist yeah. who feels like they're they're not as knowledgeable as others might be on the subject? Yeah. So I will say, number one, 
reading the catechism of the Catholic Church can be overwhelming. It really can be. Um, but there are so many resources out there that didn't exist, I would say, even 10 years ago. The level of, of catechetical materials that are out there for families, off the charts, off the charts. Catholic all year, living the liturgical year, books. There's so many books about that. Um, uh, I would say for you as a catechist, for you as a parent catechist, you want to communicate this to your children at home. The very first thing is to start praying with them, right? That's the first thing. Every time you sit down for a meal, you do the sign of the cross and you pray the grace before meals every time without exception, even when you're in public, even when you're at Red Robin getting that sweet, sweet burger with the fried egg on top. Mm. So good. Uh, you do that. Do you, do you put fried eggs on top of your burger? I like to. Oh, so When good. I can. It's Yeah, when you can. It's beautiful. Anyway, you do that because you're teaching them that what we're doing domestically right, participates in the life of the parish, the life of the church. Right? This is like God has given us food. He's sustaining us. It's awesome. Right? And that lets our devotional life break in and then the liturgical life. If you show up at the liturgy and you never pray, no wonder it's so boring. The liturgy is boring for people who do not have a prayer life. Then we demand of the liturgy to be our prayer life. So the catechist must first be praying him or herself and then must, as a parent, lead prayer for your kids. That's the first step. Second step, I would say, is get the faith and uh, get the home study books for their age. Um, get them yourself and read them. All you have to be is to be an expert. You just got to be one chapter ahead. That's right. <laughs> it sounds like a homeschooling motto. Yeah, it sure is. Beautiful. Okay, very good. Last question for you, Mike. Uh-oh. What's your excitement level for the upcoming Lord of the Rings TV show that's okay. on Amazon? The pow- Power of the Rings? The Rings of Power? The Rings of Power. Okay. Give me a range. Well, uh, Is this a one to five? One to ten. One to ten. Ten being uh, you're as excited you're for the, um, I don't even know, what were you most excited for? Your marriage? Your wedding day? Yeah, probably wedding day. Okay. That was good. Ten's wedding day. Okay. One's my wedding day. Oh, yeah. Your wedding was so boring. Boring. It was awesome, actually. People are like, you're Michael Gorby from Catching Foxes. And I was like, yeah. would you please be my best friend? My Kansas <laughs> my Kansas friends were, you're the biggest celebrity they'd ever met. So <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> you're from Kansas. <laughs> Is that Farmer Joe? Um, yeah. So, uh, man, one to ten. I'm going to say five. Mm-hmm. And that's a very that's a that's a low number for someone who has read all of the the Silmarillion, who has read the trilogy, who has read The Hobbit, uh, owns multiple copies of The Hobbit. I would say that I am scared of the Game of Thronesification of Lord of the Rings, because the Game of Thrones uh, is a very is I say George R R Martin is the American version of J.R.R. Tolkien, not because he's just as good, but because he all the American proclivities that exempted his British Catholicness, um, we find, you know, just just amplified and distorted out of context in George R. R. Martin. So it's cynical, it's negative, it's deeply rooted in um, in just awfulness. So when I th- look at the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be ideologically woke. Um, and that's going to take precedence over the story. Because I've watched all the trailers. I've seen the trailers. And I understand you can't just take the Silmarillion and slap that into a television show. you got to give background to these characters. But it's the same like nonsense. Like, 
I'm a woman. I'm underpowered. Put in my place. Men are always telling me to stop. You yeah. know, and I'm just like, literally, this is this is everything now. Like, this is getting old, but everyone has to peddle the message, and it drives me insane. Yeah, I would say cautiously optimistic is where I'm at. Maybe maybe six or seven. Actually, I'm, I would say I'm cautiously pessimistic. Okay. Like, I'm willing to be wrong because sometimes trailers to try to get that woke audience will posture and then be something totally See, different. See, I'm, I'm a little younger than you, so I'm I'm ready to be hurt again. I'm ready to go in. <laughs> You're open to fresh wounds. <laughs> yep, I'm ready to watch and just be devastated by uh, mm-hmm. them missing the point. I, I reread The Lord of the Rings recently and The Silmarillion, and I, I loved it more than I ever have. And I'm a little worried that what... Jeff Bezos yeah. and his team who's making this, I'm worried that they don't love the same things yeah. about Lord of the Rings. My cautiousness that pulls me back is there have been some movies that they've released that totally bucked that trend. They weren't great movies, but they worked. So you got uh, The Terminalist, which I read the books of. This is a brutal show. Uh, the Jack Reacher series, and uh, it had a little bit of it, but not that much. And then The, um, the Tomorrow War with uh, Chris Pratt. I thought that... Um, Was it good? Uh, yeah, I thought that they that it didn't cater to the message, so it was they were all like not great shows, but yeah, I think what you said about George Martin being the American Tolkien is fascinating because mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings could have only been written by a British Catholic born in the late 1800s. Yeah, who, the only person who who could went through them. World War One and it was a linguist yeah. by trade. Yeah. You know, only guy in the world, not because he was he's the most talented writer of all time, but that because. It, only he could have done this, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, it came out of yeah. his own being. He, yeah. Uh, subcreation, that's what he called it. Yeah, and Jared Tolkien is interesting because for many people in Britain at that time, they always emphasized the French lineage, French culture, right? The, to speak French, what even though the UK and France have had their modern altercations and grumblings and all that stuff, um, Charles de Gaulle hated the British, Uh there is this, you know, ever since William the Conqueror, the aristocracy were always French-speaking, which is how we get Latin introduced into the Anglo-Saxon uh, English. Now, the reason why I say it, this is a thousand years of favoring the Francophile within English culture. And J.R. Tolkien was almost single-handedly responsible in the British academies of reigniting a love and appreciation for the Germanic Saxon heritage. Right, almost single-handedly, because people would literally, they would openly mock him for his love of Beowulf, his communicating. He would read it in the way it was originally um, read when it was penned. Uh, he resuscitated a lot of love of Beowulf and that that genre. And the Lord of the Rings is very much from that side of British thinking. It's less Arthurian legend, less, um, yeah, less Francophile more and much Germanic. more Germanic. Yeah. More, yeah, it's rooted in the soil of, of Britain. And yeah. um, we'll see if this new TV show is rooted in the soil of anything or if it's just <laughs> yeah. rooted in modern yeah. modernity and yeah. the craziness of, you know, we'll see. Last nerd comment for you. Do you think the three movies, the original three Lord of the Rings movies by Peter King? King? Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. The king of uh, those movies. Oh. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh do you think, do you think Peter Jackson did a good job with the uh, with the th- three movies? Yes, love okay. the three movies. Because apparently the Tolkien family said you took an epic and reduced it to an action flick. Yeah. Do you do you agree? Are you sympathetic but not 
not willing to go there. After, actually, it wasn't until rereading it this latest time that I sort of was seeing where Christopher Tolkien had his beef with the movies. Yeah. Uh, because, again, what, what was lovely and beautiful and true and good about the books is, is almost impossible to, to depict yeah. on a screen. So, I don't know. I can see why also it would be difficult for a 80-year-old you know, British guy to have these movies made and, you know, fully enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, <laughs> I can't see stays. Moving too fast. I had to go to the bathroom. Scandal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I see. I love the movies. Those first three movies. Hobbits are, are, you know, they're kids' movies. Let, let me date myself. Every time I came back from France, if you could date yourself, break, Mike, you would. You know, I would. I would. I, I'm the best man I've ever met. Uh, but every every winter break, I would come home freshman, sophomore, junior year, and there's a Lord of the Rings movie waiting for me and my friends because they were released during the Christmas holiday season. So, I so where were you? How old were you when they were? Released? Here we go. I was I was young. I was probably third, fourth grade. I'm, How I'm old a, are you right now? A twenty nine. Twenty nine. Yes. I'm 11 years older than you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a fun episode, right? Four hours long. NFL kicks off next weekend. Chiefs at Cardinals. <laughs> Looking for and, a big year from Pat Mahomes. And uh, Children's Faith Formation and Youth Ministry kick off on the week of September 11th. It is going to be so busy. Home study parents, I need to see you on September 8th. We're going to have a parent meeting then. It's going to be awesome. God bless.